Welcome to Day 3 Live, the live broadcast of Sunday morning service at Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. You can learn more about our ministry at day3church.org or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash d3church. These are crazy times in our world. Face masks, riots, racial tensions, and the list goes on. We're facing struggles right now that no one could have foreseen. So many are hurting right now, and so many are without hope. No matter who you are or what you're facing today, one thing is for certain. Our society needs peace now more than ever. That's why we're doing a series simply titled Peace. Today is part 13 of our series titled Real Peace versus Temporary Peace, and it starts right now. Good morning. It's good to see you guys, and I want to say uh, thank you to Jennifer. Would you guys just do me a favor? Let's give her a... So, I know she doesn't like that. (laughs) Um, uh, Jennifer and I have been getting to know each other for the last few months, and and something that I really appreciate, I'm telling every service, I'm trying to make sure everybody hears it, but something I really appreciate is is that um, I feel like from our conversations and from watching her as she leads that her um, her heart and her uh, intent are the same uh, as as mine in terms of leading worship. I feel like uh, uh, her she's she's a genuine person. That her worship is authentic, and that her desire is that for pe- for people to connect with God. And I really appreciate that because if we're if if we're singing for any other reason than to give Him glory, it's just a performance, and um, that's that's not why we're here this morning. So. Get that out of the way up front. If you're here because of a performance, thank God you're here, but that's not why we're here. And uh, so anybody who agrees with that, say amen. 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 Guys, pray for Pastor Lynn and Becky. They are in the midst of moving. They, we, uh, we had a bunch of men that gathered together and helped uh, load up stuff in their house on the trailers yesterday and uh, had a, uh, a good group of guys and... Um, got a lot done and got it all done before lunchtime and, and they still had some things to do and I know they've got to they've got to do final walkthroughs on their house this afternoon and then on the house they're moving into and then tomorrow they close on one and then they close on the other. So there's a lot going on and um, you know if you if you talk to them just just tell them that you notice that he played hooky from church today. <laughs> uh, but uh, that's why I'm up here because he was planning on that. Um, and uh, Anyway, we do want to pray for them. Um, Guys, uh, today, I'll just tell you honestly, we're in week 13 of our series on peace. Now, when Lynn told me he was going to do a 16-week series on peace, I thought, how in the world are we going to fill 16 weeks on one word? (laughs) That's a a lot of sermons. Um, And and I I really didn't think it was possible. But uh, you know what? Who else? Who else would have known other than God, that we were going to have this many weeks of a need to focus on peace. I mean, look at what's going on in our world. Things are absolutely insane. Can you believe the craziness? We, first of all, we've been dealing with all this COVID stuff, and I don't know what your personal position on it is, and that's fine, but I just want to say this. Look, there's a spectrum. 
Okay, there are people who think that this is all a hoax and it's, and it's made up. And there's people on the opposite end of the spectrum that think Armageddon's about to happen. And then there's people anywhere in between on that spectrum. And when you talk to people, you never know what you can say or what you can't say. Like, or can I touch them? Can I not touch them? Do I shake their hands? Do I bump their elbow? What, what do I do? Do I wave? You know, we're three feet from each other. Oh, maybe we should be six or maybe we should be 12. And you don't know how to respond to people. And, and then, then you add into all that this, this racial tension that's going on in our country. And it's like, how do I talk to people about this? Do I mention this? Do I mention that? Can I say anything? Do I say nothing? And, and you, you never know what to do. I mean, there's so much turmoil and so much lack of peace around us. It's insane. There's people rioting in the streets and taking over portions of cities and wanting to tear down monuments and change the names of buildings and scholarship programs and universities and anything that's got the name of something that reminds them of something they don't like. And, and, I'm not, and I'm not justifying any position on any side. I'm just saying this is, this is the world we're in. And who would have thought six months ago that we would be here? You know? I mean, this is, this, there is so little peace right now around us that it, it's unreal. And who else but God would have known we needed this many weeks to focus on peace? And here we are. And so um, today... I want to talk to you about our topic. Our topic is real peace versus temporary peace. And before we do, I'm going to ask Roxy. I, I've put Roxy on the spot this morning because I changed up my, the, the order of my stuff last night, and it's not in the media that way. So Roxy's doing a fabulous job this morning. Uh, we're going to skip to the... Yeah, that's fine. Give her a hand. We're going to skip to the main point of today because if you know me... If you know me, as my, one of my beloved mentors used to say, John, you have the gift of continuance. If you don't know what that means, you'll get it in a minute. But I had, thank you, John Howard. And I had, uh, you know, I had trouble getting my sermon into the one hour time frame when we had an hour and a half service. So now when we got 30-ish minutes, you know I'm going to have a hard time. So instead of having four points or five points or whatever, we're ha- we got one point today. This is the message. This is the whole thing. If you, if you don't take anything else out, you need to take this out. I want you to read it with me. Real peace comes when we exercise real belief in the real Savior. We're going to do it again. Real peace comes when we exercise real belief in the real Savior. That's our point today. Everything that we're going to do is tied to this right here. So here's my goal. Like uh, first service, I did a really great job, I thought, did a really great job with the message. And then second service, I got through my introduction and I was like, oh man, we're out of time. So I had to quickly go through the stuff. So here's what I want you to understand. This right here is the main point. All I'm going to do is this. I'm going to leave this statement up here and I'm going to roll you around in some details. And I hope when you leave here, you remember something. But the main thing you need to remember is this right here, okay? Real peace. All right, let's turn to John chapter 14. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to open up with us. We will have some verses on the screen, but I want you in your Bible if you got it, because I want you to see this in your Bible. This is the same Bible you read, okay? This is the same Bible. Here it is, John 14. We're going to start at verse 1. Verse 1, Jesus said, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And then we're going to skip to verse 27. And in verse 27, he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. 
Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Father, for the fact that you desire to give us peace and you offer us peace. I pray, Lord, this morning that you would work in our hearts wherever people are with you. Would you, would you give us real peace and help us to exercise real belief in the real Savior? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Guys, chapter 14, we see Jesus say, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let it be afraid. This didn't start in chapter 14, though. If you were here the last time I was preaching, we talked about a doctrine called the sufficiency of Scripture. And, and in that message, we talked about how the, the true interpretation of the Word of God, the true interpretation of this book, has to do with what was written by the original author, what that author's intent was at that time, in that context, to that audience, that we start there with understanding the word, and once we grasp that, we say, what is the truth of the word that then applies to me now based on what I see there? That's how we start. So what I want you to do is I want you to start with me. We were in 14, but we're going to go back to chapter 9. So flip back to chapter 9, and we are going to look at chapter 9, verse 35. Now, let me give you a little bit of information leading up to verse 35. Here's what happens in chapter 9. Chapter 9, Jesus goes to the temple and he sees this man who was blind from birth. That meant from the day he was born, he never saw anything, okay? And he's laying there begging, okay? Jesus sees the man, he heals him and gives him his sight. Can you imagine that for just a minute? Imagine that for just a minute, brother. Like you've been blind since birth. And you, all of a sudden you open your eyes and the first thing you see is the face of Jesus. That's the very first thing he ever saw is in, in his entire life. And this is the conversation that Jesus has with him. Look at verse 35. Jesus said, do you believe in the son of man? Now, some of you are going, well, what does that mean? Well, here's, here's what it means. In the Old Testament... That, that term, that name, son of man, was a prophetic name for Messiah. The Jewish people knew what that meant. That, that meant the son of man was a reference to the Messiah, the savior of the world, the king of Israel, incarnate deity. And Jesus says to this man who just opened his eyes and saw something for the first time, do you believe in Messiah? And look at what the man said. He said, he said, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? He said, I, I would gladly. Tell me who he is. Tell me who he is. I've been waiting. And Jesus said, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. In other words, surprise, it's me. <laughs> I've been here. Yeah. Hey. Okay, so it's, Jesus says, hey, it's me. And what does the man do? Look at this. This is amazing. He opened his eyes and saw for the first time, and the first thing he saw was Jesus. And Jesus says, I'm the Messiah. I'm the promised one. I'm the king of Israel. And the man falls down and worships him immediately. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Do you think that man was genuine in his worship? I bet he was. I bet he was. Now, then Jesus starts saying stuff like this. He says, he says, okay, look, here's the thing. I just gave you sight. You were blind and I gave you sight. Here's what you need to understand. I didn't come just to give you physical sight. I came so that the people who are spiritually blind would see. 
And all those people who think they know what's going on, they're really blind. Now, look at what verse 40 says. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things, and they said to him, are we also blind? Now listen, don't pass over that because this is what's going on. It's like me saying, you know, if somebody believes such and such, they're stupid. And you go in, well, I believe in that. You calling me stupid? If somebody votes for so-and-so, they're stupid. Well, I voted for that person. Am I stupid? That's it. I mean, that's what the Pharisees are going. How dare you? You're talking about me. They knew it. They knew he was talking about them. So they got really ticked off. Really ticked off. Let's skip chapter 10, verse 24. Chapter 10, verse 24. So here's what happened. There's this thing called the Feast of Dedication. The Feast of Dedication was a particular celebration that happened at the time of the Festival of Lights. This is something that you've heard of probably as Hanukkah. It's not in the Old Testament, but it is in the New Testament. It happened between the Testaments, and the Jewish people celebrated Hanukkah. Jesus celebrated Hanukkah. He was a Jew, okay? And so he celebrated Hanukkah, and he's at the temple for the Feast of Dedication at the time of Hanukkah. This is in December, December. Okay, keep that in your mind. That's important. It 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 even says it was in the winter. And it says Jesus was walking in the temple. And number 24 says, So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And look at what Jesus said in verse 25. Jesus answered them, I already told you, and you don't believe. Back in chapter 9, when you saw me heal the blind man, I told you. That's me. I'm the Messiah. I am the Christ. I'm the Savior. You've already heard it. You just don't believe it. Then he continues to talk to them about the things he's done, the evidences that he's Messiah, the miracles that he's done, the works of the Father, and all the things that he's taught. And it says in verse 31, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. You know what that means? If you don't know what that means, it means they wanted to kill him. They wanted to execute him right there. And the fact that they said again means they already tried it once before at least. Okay? They wanted him dead. Why? Because he claimed to be Messiah. And they'd say it right here. Jesus answered them and said, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? And the Jews answered him, it's not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man, make yourself God. They knew he was claiming to be God. They knew he was claiming to be Messiah. If somebody ever tells you Jesus never claimed to be God, there it is right there. And the people that were listening to him in that day, they knew. They knew what he was saying. They wanted to kill him. The next five chapters, here's what happens in the next five chapters. The next five chapters are full of things where Jesus does miracles, the Pharisees find out, a bunch of people believe in him, and a, and, and a bunch of people rat on him to the Pharisees. The Pharisees want to kill him and arrest him, and so they go chasing him down, and he gets away from them, and he hides. And then after a while, he goes back to Jerusalem, and he does some other miracle, and the same thing happens again, and he goes and hides. One of the miracles that he does during that time is the, the, the raising of Lazarus. You know that story? They're hiding from the Pharisees, and they find out Jesus' buddy Lazarus has died, and the family sends for him. He's like, nope. And he doesn't go. A few days later, he tells his disciples, okay, let's go see Lazarus. And they're like, he's dead. Yeah, let's go see him. And they say, Philip says, well, come on, let's go with him so we can die too. Because they're trying to kill Jesus. 
And Lazarus is already dead. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead and everybody worships him and believes in him. And these other people tell the Pharisees and now the Pharisees don't want to just kill Jesus. They want to kill Lazarus and the disciples. Okay, this is what's going on in the context. And then we get to chapter 13. Look at chapter 13. We're going to look at verse 36. Okay, so Jesus, this is, now we're at the time of Passover. We're at the time of Passover. Now, Passover, just so you know, Passover falls at a different date every year on our calendar because it follows the Hebrew calendar, which is a lunar calendar, blah, blah, blah. What that means is it sometimes happens in March. It sometimes happens in April, kind of like Easter, right? Okay, They're, they coincide. They're similar, right? But Passover happens around that time frame. So we're talking about from December to March or April. And we're talking about at least four months, four plus months. Okay, they've been threatened to be executed, to be arrested. They've been running, hiding, going back, running, hiding, going back. People are trying to kill them, and they go to Jerusalem for the Passover. And Jesus starts saying things like this. I came here to die. It's time for me to lay down my life. And they're going, what? Yeah, that's what I was made to do. What? And in verse 30. Six, Simon Peter says to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. And Peter said, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Let's stop right there for a second. We know Peter, right? Peter's the apostle that puts his foot in his mouth all the time, right? Peter's the one that goes, hey, if that's really you, Jesus, out there walking on the water, why don't you tell me to come? And Jesus says, okay, come on, <laughs> right? And Peter steps out of the boat. Now, did Peter believe? Yes. How do you know he believed? He got out of the boat. <laughs> if he didn't believe it, he wouldn't have stepped out of the boat, right? Okay. So remember, what's our point this morning? Real peace comes when we exercise real belief in the real Savior, Real peace comes when we exercise real belief in the real Savior. All right, so Peter believes and he says, I'll lay down my life for you. And Jesus goes, no, you won't. He says, you say that, Peter, but I know your heart. You're scared. You're scared. And I know what's inside of you. And why wouldn't he be scared, right? Why wouldn't he be scared? Because people have been trying to kill him for five months. Of course he's scared. They've been in hiding. Now they're back at Jerusalem where people want to stone him. And he says, will you really lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. He says, Peter, by the time morning comes, you're going to, deny, you're going to turn your back on me three times. Not just once, three times. Because I know what's in your heart. This is the verse right before our text in John 14, 1. This is our context. This is where Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Why don't you believe in me? Why don't you believe in me? Have you, have you been with me all this time and you didn't know me, Peter? I mean, you've been with me for years. You've seen the miracles. 
You've heard the claims. You've seen the dead raised. You've seen the blind healed and given sight. You've seen sins forgiven. You've seen sicknesses and diseases disappear. You've seen me walk on the water. You've seen yourself walk on the water. Why don't you believe right now? Why don't you believe me? Except he doesn't ask a question. Instead, when, when I read it, I, this is what I hear. I hear a coach in a locker room trying to give a pep talk to his team before the big game, before the championship. And he goes, look, guys, you know this stuff. Believe it. Believe in me. Don't be troubled. Have peace. Believe in me. Why does Jesus say, peace I give you, not as the world gives, but my peace I give? What kind of peace does the world give? Here's what I know about you, and I know this about you because I know this about me, and I know this about other people I know, because here's what we do as human beings. We have this tendency that we see, we see peace as something that comes from this, this thing this thing that, that, that we want, this thing that we need, this thing that, that would fix our situations or our problems, and it's just out of reach. And if, and if I could just, if I could just get hold of that, right, I'd have peace. If I could just, like, if I could just get a little bit more money, if I just, if I could get financial security, right? I mean, how, how many people, no matter how much money you got, how much money is enough? It's always what? A little bit more, <laughs> a little bit more than I got right now, right? That's all I need, a little bit more. But you get a little bit more, and then how much money do you need? Ah, a little bit more, right? If I could just get financial security, if I could just pay off my mortgage, if I could just pay off my car, if I could just get out of debt, if I could just get out of this marriage, if I could just get married to this person, if I could just get my kids off of drugs, if I could just get my kids in church, if I could just get the right job, if I could just get another position, if I could just get the right house, if I could just have the car that I need, if I just had my, my particular candidate in office, if I just had this, if we just had this bill passed, all these things, our problems would be solved and we'd have peace. But when we get it, it never brings peace. So we have this idea as human beings that peace is going to come by this thing that we, that's just out of reach. And the problem is when we get it, it doesn't bring peace. That's the world's peace. That's temporary peace. Because even when you get it, it doesn't last. And Jesus says, I'm not offering you what the world offers you. I'm offering you real peace. Real peace comes when we exercise real belief in the real savior. That's our truth today. Real peace comes when we exercise real belief in the real savior. Real peace. Let's talk about real peace for a minute. Real peace is like this. When, when my wife was pregnant with our son, we've got five kids. We've got one son. He was number two. When my wife was pregnant with our son, she started bleeding three months early. We went to the hospital, and after our trip to the ER, they take us on a tour of the NICU, the neonatal intensive care unit, and they show us all these babies that are like this big on respirators and incubators and all these things, and we say, when do we get to go home? And they said, when the baby's born. And I said, when's that going to be? And they said, hopefully not tonight. You talk about a lack of peace.
we would have given our life's blood to save that child. And there was nothing that I could do. I couldn't fix that. I couldn't fix that. And for months, I'm trying to be strong for my wife, and she's on bed rest at the hospital for three months. And I'm trying to be strong for my wife, and I'm trying not to get worried or get upset, but inside I'm worried. And I'm agonizing, and I got no peace. And we talk about it, and we pray about it, and I'm still, I'm, I'm fearful. No peace. And one day, I, I don't know how far into it it was, and I'll never forget. You know, they used to come in every morning and they'd say, okay, here's what we're doing. Here's our plan for today, and here's our plan for this week, and hopefully nothing happens. And here's all the bad stuff that can happen, and here's what we're hoping for in that situation. Best case scenario, worst case scenario. Every day, first thing in the morning, how about starting off your day that way? <laughs> hopefully baby won't come today. Here's our plan if it does. And one day, my wife and I prayed together, and I'll never forget this peace came over me that I could not explain. And I said, God, this kid is yours. He's yours. He's yours. Okay? And he didn't use these words, but here's what I heard in my spirit. Here's what I heard in my heart. Peace I give you, not as the world gives. Right? He gave me a peace about it, and I knew everything was going to be okay. And when the doctor came in that morning and said, okay, here's worst case scenario. Here's what we're going to do if this happens. We get, they get through their spiel, and I say, thank you for what you're doing, and I appreciate that. Just want you to know, God told me this is going to be okay. Everything's going to be fine. Well, okay, well, whatever. We got to do this and this and this. And and they tell us the whole plan again. It's like, okay, I got you. I got you. You're doing your job. I'm just telling you, God's already said it's okay. It's going to be all right. And every time they come in, I tell them all the same thing every day. And we get to the delivery. They're doing the surgery. And I'm holding my son. And I asked the doctor, I said, how are we doing, doc? He said, couldn't have been better. And then he said this. He said, I can tell people are praying. I had no control over that. Philippians, let's put that Philippians verse up there. Philippians 4, 7. It says, uh, go ahead and put the passage up there. It says, the peace of God, the peace that passes all, surpasses all understanding will guard your heart. Have you ever had that kind of peace about anything? That's the kind of peace that God gives. And, and here's, here's where it comes from. Real peace comes from exercising real belief in the real Savior. Well, real peace has to be based on something that's fixed, something that's immovable, something that doesn't, it's not dependent on what we do or our accomplishments. It's not dependent on time. It's not dependent on, on our circumstances. It's not, it's not something that ages. It's not something that gets weaker. It's not something that, that, that's, that's affected by outside forces. It has to be something fixed and immovable because if it's not, it doesn't last. It's temporary. 
So real peace, the only thing I know that meets all of those criteria, the only thing that fits that description is God. Jesus Christ, the Bible says, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. Real peace comes when we exercise real belief in the real Savior. What do we mean by real belief? So believing something doesn't necessarily give me peace. If I tell you I ate a sausage biscuit for breakfast this morning, do you believe me? You probably think, sure, I believe you, because I got no reason to think you'd lie, right? But here's the question. Does that matter to you? Do you care what I ate? You probably look at me and go, well, you say you ate a sausage biscuit. You look like you ate 10, but (laughs) okay, maybe so. Amen. That's right. Stick together, brother. (laughs) Uh, And so you look like you ate a bunch. I don't have any reason to doubt you, but it also makes no difference for my life. If, if, do you believe in gravity? Do you believe in gravity? Yeah. Do you care? I mean, if you think about it, you might go, oh, well, yeah, I mean, I guess I care because it kind of affects me every waking moment, but you don't go through your day thinking about it, do you? You don't go, oh, I'm trusting gravity right now, (laughs) taking another step. You don't think about it. It doesn't make a difference to you. You don't care, right? So what kind of belief is Jesus talking about? Because believing like that is not enough. This is what a Bible uh, college professor said to me when I was in high school. He said, the kind of belief that Jesus always speaks of, the kind of belief that brings salvation is an ROTC type of belief. He's not talking about military. This is what it means. Believe means ROTC. It means you rely on it. It means you obey it. It means you trust in it. It means you cling to it. So here's the thing. Am I clinging to gravity? No. I mean, it's affecting me, but I'm not thinking about it. But when Peter stepped out on the water, was he clinging to the word of Jesus? Yeah. Was he trusting in what Jesus told him to do? Yeah. Was he obedient to what Jesus told him to do? Yeah. Was he relying on it? Yeah. Until. Until. He got focused on all the unrest around him, all the lack of peace around him. He didn't exercise real belief, did he? He started focusing on the other voices instead. Real peace comes when we exercise real belief, rely, obey, trust, and cling in the real Savior. Let's say, let me say this to you real quick. What about this? What if, I, what if you got on an airplane and I gave you a parachute and I said, uh, hey, at any moment you're going to have to jump 30,000 feet. If you don't have this on, you might die. Are you going to rely on that parachute? Are you going to obey it? Oh, yeah. Are you going to trust in it? You better hope so. You trust somebody packed it right, right? (laughs) Are you going to cling to it when you jump? Oh, yeah. You're going to cling to it when you jump. Guess what? When we go into the storms of life, that's the kind of belief that we need to have. Rely, obey, trust, and cling. And then the real Savior. Well, who's the real Savior? Jesus told them, I am the Messiah. I am he. I'm the one all these prophecies were about, the real Savior. Let me tell you why that's important. Because you can believe something sincerely and be sincerely wrong right? You can believe something sincerely and be sincerely long. Let, let, me, let me give you an example. Here, here's, a, here's a for instance. Let's say that you get a financial advisor 
And uh, you say, well, this is my goal, and I want to do this, and I need to save this money and build up this fund because I, I need to do X with it, right? Buy a house, pay off a mortgage, pay for college, you know, whatever, retire on it, whatever. And they say, okay, you're going to put this much money, let's say it's $500, you put $500 into this account every month for the next 20 years. And you do it, okay? And every month, you write your check, you send it to your financial person, they invest it, right? And they put it in your account, and 20 years passes and you decide to draw on that money to pay off a mortgage or to pay off college or to whatever it is. And you go and they say, I'm sorry, that account doesn't exist. As a matter of fact, that bank doesn't exist. Let me ask you something. Did you really believe? Yeah, you really believed because you sent your money. Did you really send your money? Yeah, because I don't have it in my account. I don't have it in this bank account because I sent it over there. But it wasn't a real account. The person scammed you. And when, when the time came to collect on debts, you were bankrupt. Spiritually speaking, so often people put their real belief into the wrong Savior. And when the time comes for debts to be paid, they're spiritually bankrupt. You can be sincerely believing and sincerely be wrong at the same time. It is so important that we understand the real Savior. The real Savior is not the Jesus that the Mormon church teaches. And I'm not bashing on Mormons, but they teach that that Jesus is a man. They teach that that Jesus is the brother of Satan. That's not, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. That's not the Messiah we're talking about. That Jesus won't save you. In the end, you will pay for your sins. There's no money in that account. It's not the Jesus of the Jehovah's Witness. That Jesus is a reincarnation of Michael the archangel. That's not God incarnate. It's not the real Jesus. It's not, it's not the Jesus that, that the person on the university campus tells you who says, oh, he's a moral teacher. He's a good moral teacher, but he was a fraud. He wasn't God. Well, let me tell you what. It originated with C.S. Lewis, I think, but Josh McDowell wrote about it in a book called More Than a Carpenter. And Josh McDowell said that you have to understand that when you look at Jesus, you have to accept that he's either one of three things. He's either Lord, or he's a liar, or he's a lunatic. Those are the three options. Because he claimed to be God. Now, let, let, me, let me ask you this. If he knew he was lying, then he's not a good teacher, is he? And if he knew he was lying, do you think he would willingly go to the cross for a lie? He's not a liar. The disciples, most of them were martyred. Do you think that they would have accepted that if they thought he was a liar? If they were making up the stories of the resurrection where they saw, they physically ate, they ate meals with the resurrected Christ. That's what the Bible says. If they didn't really do that, if they were making all of that up, you think they would have died for it? I wouldn't. I'd be like, let's get out of Dodge, baby. <laughs> I ain't staying here. He's not a liar. Well, he must have been a crazy man then. 
If you look at the words of Jesus, he makes more sense than anybody I've ever heard of. He makes more sense than any president, any politician, any, any, any religious leader, uh, anybody who, who makes statements on their own accord. It, they're flawed, right? The words of Jesus make more sense than anything else. We look at science. Uh, over the years, the Bible has proven uh, things or stated things that science has just recently discovered. I mean, relative to the, to, to the purvey of time, I mean, at one point, people thought the world was flat. And a guy said, no, it's not flat, it's round. And they said, well, we're going to kill you. And he's like, no, it's in the Bible. It says God sits on the sphere of the earth. What's a sphere? It's a ball, right? It's not flat. So there are things like that that, we've, that we know now that people didn't always know, but they were in the Bible from the beginning. We have to believe in the real Savior, the real Jesus. And here's what I know about humans. Our tendency is to think, like we said before, those other things, the financial security or the job or the relationship or the whatever, all those different things that we think are just out of our reach, they're, they're, they're not good saviors, are they? I mean, they're not. They're not good saviors because they, because they, they fall apart. They disappear, they, they, they expire. They don't last forever. So our, if we want real peace, we have to exercise real belief, ROTC, in the real Savior. The real Savior. Truth is not relative. Either Jesus is Savior or he's not. That's what it comes down to. And so the question this morning is, if you're a Christian, where are you seeking your peace? In the midst of all of your problems in life, in the midst of all the stuff that's going on in our world today and in our society, are we looking to those false saviors? Are we grasping for things that never really fulfill and thinking that we're going to get our peace from that. If you're here this morning and you're struggling with a lack of peace, remember real peace comes when you exercise real belief in the real Savior. Why do we say exercise? Matt, what happens if you don't work a muscle? It shrinks. It gets weak. We got to exercise real belief, real belief in the real Savior. If you're a Christian and you're struggling with, with, without peace this morning, I want to invite you to think about this. God is offering you real peace. It's just a matter of saying, do you really believe me? You believe in God. Do you believe me? Do you believe me? Jesus is offering that to you. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, maybe you've never, never truly prayed and said, God, I'm a sinner. I, I need your forgiveness. I want to trust in your word. I'm trusting in Jesus for my salvation. If you've never done that, then, then that offer is available for you this morning. Do you need to trust Christ? I'm going to ask you to, to bow your heads with me, and we're going to pray. And, and, the, and the invitation is, is open to anybody. You can pray where you are. You can come to the front. If you're watching online or listening through podcasts, we want you to know that you can contact us. You can contact us through Facebook or through our church website, emails. 
And if you're here today, I'm here. Pastor Daryl's here. We've got some deacons in the room. We, we'd be happy to pray with you, happy to talk to you. But the invitation is open to everybody. If you need to pray, you can come forward. You can stay where you are. But if you, if you have never accepted Christ, I want to invite you to come and do that this morning. Let's bow our heads. And Father, we, um, we thank you, Lord, that you are a real Savior, steadfast, immovable, never changing. and that we could trust you. Father, help us to exercise real belief this morning so that you can work real peace into our lives. For those who know you, Lord, and are struggling, we pray, Lord, they do business with you today. And for those who, who don't know you, we pray they trust you for the first time today. Speak to our hearts, Father, and help us to be obedient. In Jesus' name. Are you in need of greater peace in your life? It is possible, and it starts with being at peace with God. Just pray something like this. Lord Jesus, I realize I need you and your forgiveness. I invite you to be the boss of my life. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I receive you as my Savior and Lord. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, we'd love to talk to you. We're here to pray with you, to love you, and offer support. Please contact us at day3church.com. We care about you, and we want to connect with you. Until next time, this is Pastor John reminding you that God is greater than your circumstances, and His mercies are new every morning. It's time to experience a new day in your life.